hear about called anger management. <coughs> Boy, this is going to be exciting. I can already feel the sparks flying. <laughs> Our sermon text can be found on your inside leaflet. That's Matthew 5, 21 through 26. You may recall we've been preaching a series on the Sermon on the Mount called Kingdom Life in a Fallen World, where Jesus goes up on a mountain and preaches to his disciples and those around him. He's preaching on the fact that the kingdom has come and talking about how are we to live in light of this kingdom that has come, that is in our hearts and that is advancing in the world. And so he has talked about the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the, and now he's moving into how these principles, these not even principles, descriptions are played out in the world. And the first big topic that he's going to tackle is that of anger. So this is Matthew 5, 21 through 26. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court. Lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. The word of the Lord. The emotion of anger. We've all experienced it. We've all manifested it. In fact, you may be manifested it in the car today as you are coming to church. <laughs> wow, it didn't take long to get amen. You know, one of the greatest battlegrounds is trying to get your family to church on a Sunday, isn't it? Anger can flare up. And then you come in here steaming and trying to change gears. You know, there seems to be a rise of anger in our worlds today. Some pundits have characterized our, our, uh, our time as an age of rage. Here's an editor's letter of Esquire's February issue from the chief editor, Dave Granger, who wrote, It is commonplace to note that outrage has become our normal national tone of voice. But it has. I don't know where the anger comes from, but we need to fight against it. Thomas Ricks, a Pulitzer Prize winner and former Washington Post reporter, currently writes in his blog, America may have been an angrier place during the 1960s and 70s, but it's a meaner place today. Who hasn't experienced anger in the world? A great prime place to see it is on the sports field. I have four kids and we're on the lacrosse field and soccer field all the time and we, who hasn't seen anger boiling up over onto the sidelines and into the field? There was a study done recently by SurveyUSA that took a poll of 500 parents asking about parent violence. The survey found that 55% of parents say they had witnessed other parents engaging in verbal abuse at youth sporting events. 21% said they witnessed a physical altercation between other parents at youth sporting events. Here's just a couple of uh, news stories that I pulled off the internet. In LaPorte, Indiana, a father who was disturbed over his son's lack of playing time 
threw the lead commissioner to the ground as he approached to talk with the angry man. In Athens, Alabama, the father of a youth basketball baseball player was charged with assault on another man who had complained that the father was heckling the other 11 and 12-year-old players. A knife was pulled, and one of the dads required more than 100 stitches to his face and back. We've experienced sports rage, but we've also experienced road rage, haven't we? A study done recently uh, by an uh, insurance group noted that 50% of drivers responded to aggression with aggression. Of those that did, 34% honked their horn, 27 rant and rave, I've never done that, 19% give the finger, can you say that in church? I just did. 17% flash their headlights, 7% mimic aggressive driving, 2% try to run the aggressor off the road. Road rage or disrespectful driving is causing 800 deaths a year on British roads, according to an insurance agency there. We've seen road rage. We may have participated in it. We've seen government rage. Has there ever been a higher time of polarity between parties? Name calling. Fists possibly being thrown at one another. It seems that we are in an age of rage. We see it in the government. We see it in schools. Tragically, names like Columbine and Paducah, a Kentucky and, a, and Virginia Tech come to mind. As more and more schools are getting gun detectors, as more and more children at younger ages are packing in school. Rage is affecting us all. They say that pupils are twice as li likely to be aggressive and disruptive if they have parents who are violent. Finally, we see it in media rage. It's interesting, this rise of reality TV, isn't it? Isn't it really just sort of a modified gladiator games where we throw some people in a room and watch them backbite and backstab and yell at one another for our own entertainment? It's easy to look outside at other things and go, there's the problem. But at some point, we have to look at ourselves. The truth is I experience anger in myself. In the checkout line, when things aren't moving fast enough, I start to feel it. When I get poor service at the restaurant, when I am not taken care of by the, the cleaners, the, when my co-workers at work don't give me the respect that I feel like I accord, it starts to build up inside of me. I think of that great existential philosopher band Skillet, and I don't mean particularly the restaurant implements. I'm talking about the hard rock band that has a song that says, the secret side of me I never let you see. I keep it caged, but I can't control it. So stay away from me. The beast is ugly. I feel the rage and I just can't hold it. I fear for myself that this anger that I may have, what it communicates to my children. And so we have to ask the question, where does the anger come from? And how are we to deal with the consequences of it? What is the biblical perspective that we should have about the emotion of anger? <clears throat> because amidst all of this pontificating of anger, we hear Jesus' words. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, 
will be liable to the hell of fire. See, Jesus is showing that there is a consequence of anger, that we have to deal with it. So what we're going to talk about is how we manage our anger. The truth of the matter is the answer that I'm going to give you is not a physical answer, not some how-tos of how to manage our anger. Because the answer is not physical, it's spiritual. We can't solve the problem of anger, but Christ can. Because he is the only one who effectively managed his anger. He is the only one who can help us effectively manage ours. Left to ourselves, we will always spiral into anger. But Jesus gives us the power to replace anger with love and gives us the courage to seek forgiveness when we fail. We're going to look at three specific points. Number one, the definition of anger. Where did it come from? What's its origin? What's its nature? Can't do anything about anger until we understand what it is. Then we're going to move into the duty of anger. First the definition of anger, then the duty of anger. What are the responsibilities that come along when we do get angry? And then finally we're going to look at the doubt of anger. So there's a lot of questions. When do I need to act? When do I not act? What's angry? What's not angry? We need to have a proper understanding, so we're going to look at the doubt of anger. There's only one person who's ever effectively managed anger. And when we trust in him, he can help us effectively manage ours. So let's look at the, my first point, the definition of anger. Again, Jesus uh, communicates here in the first part this unbelievable story. You have heard of old, those who said of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. Jesus, this whole passage here, he's taking it in the context of the verse that what came right before it, which you don't have. But if you remember, Jesus said, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees and scribes, you will never enter the kingdom of God. See, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, set the standard of what it means to live righteously. They not only lived the law, but they taught the law as well. And so Jesus is referring to their teaching when he says, you have heard it said. Not referring to the scripture. Whenever he referred to the scripture, he always said, it is written. But he's referring to the Pharisees' teaching. And the Pharisees had boiled down the issue of murder to this statement. You, um, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. Okay, that's actually two different verses in the Bible. They're not put together. The Pharisees put them together. The first one is from Deuteronomy 5. It's the sixth commandment of the Ten Commandments. You shall not murder. But the second one is from Numbers 35.30. And it's actually dealing in the context of capital punishment in a court of law. If anyone kills a person, the murderer shall be put to death on the evidence of witnesses. And so the Pharisees have put these things together and they've said, here is the teaching on murder. Well, there's a problem with that. Because what the Pharisees have effectively done is they've weakened the commandment. They've stripped it of what's behind the commandment. They've made it solely about legal punishment, like a law in a law book. Because God isn't in the picture anywhere, is he? If you're murdered, you're subject to judgment. There you go. Now, why have they done that? Because the Pharisees, for all of their righteousness have made this an easy command to keep. Don't murder, you're not subject to judgment. See, that's when the Pharisees, you know how they'd come up to Jesus and they said, I've, I've kept all the law. And Jesus would just smile at them and love them. 
Because he, he said, you have no idea what you're saying. No, you've kept your law, but not the law of God. See, they've stripped the law of its intent. And the spirit behind the law, they've denuded the law. And so Jesus says, but I say to you, everyone who is angry with his brother, not murders him, will be liable to judgment. And whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. See, Jesus is saying, it's the intent behind the act. This is not an issue of the hand, it's an issue of the heart. Makes perfect sense when you think about it, because where does murder come from? Does it not come from our heart as things boil up inside of us and ultimately manifest themselves in our hands? The scriptures have much to say about the heart. Here's Jesus in Matthew 15, 17. Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But the things that come out of the mouth come from the heart, and these make a man unclean. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. In the book of James, James goes even further. He says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. See, we often think of God's law um, as simply prohibitive. Tells us what not to do. Or prescriptive. It tells us what to do. But God's law is even further than that. God's law is descriptive. In God's law, he's presenting to us a picture of the world as it was meant to be. The world in which we were meant to live was a world in which there was no anger. There was no discord. There was love and there was harmony and there was peace. So that is why Jesus is calling out and rightly interpreting the law so we can understand because the law is an extension of the character of God. And so we have to ask the question, what is at the root of this anger if we were designed not to be this way? It's quite simply unmet desires and expectations. Remember Cain and Abel, first two brothers, first day they go out, Cain goes ahead and offers up a sacrifice, Abel offers up one. God looks with favor on, on, uh, Cain's, on Abel's sacrifice, but he doesn't on Cain's. And the scriptures say that Cain was very angry, and his face fell. And the Lord said, why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? But we know the story that Cain calls to Abel and they go out in the field and Cain murders Abel. Why did he do that? It was because God accepted, God gave uh, acceptance and recognition to Abel and not to Cain. See, what anger really comes from is our lust to be recognized, our lust to be worshipped. Think about it. When you're angry, isn't it because somebody doesn't meet your expectations? You want your wife to be at your beck and call, but she's not there for you to take care of you, to do whatever you need, and so you're angry at her. You want your friends to care about you, 
to call you, to listen to your expectations of what you want to do, but they want to do something else. And so you're angry. You want your kids to be perfectly well-behaved and to listen exactly to what you say and to do what they're supposed to do when you tell them, and so you're angry when they don't. And you want your community to give you the recognition that you so deserve, and when they don't, you're angry. See, anger is a symptom of us saying, worship me or else. And so there's the consequence, the uh, or else is that anger that we have in our heart. And Jesus says that that anger that you have in your heart is just like you murdered them. Our heart is saying, bow down or I will murder you in my heart. See, the Pharisees, they just wanted to make it easy. Now you may ask me the question, well, doesn't God do this? I mean, think about it. God said to the Israelites and all these people, worship me. And when they didn't, God's anger burned against them. Wait a second. If God can do that, why can't I? That's exactly the point. Because he's God and we're not. Anger is the lust to be worshipped. Treat me like God. So we have a debt to our brother to love and honor him. And when we replace that with the desire to be worshipped, and we anger because we are not, we commit murder in our hearts. I don't know if you remember that story by Edgar Allan Poe, The Telltale Heart. Edgar Allan Poe, I really got fascinated with this guy because he went to my alma mater at the University of Virginia. And in fact, if you ever walk on the lawn, they preserve Edgar Allan Poe's room, and you can look into it. And you can hear the heart. Uh, no. <laughs> you know, we used to go over there and see. No. You remember the story of the telltale heart? Okay, it's a, there's two people, there's this guy, and he has a servant. There's something about his servant that just unnerves him. He doesn't like him. He has this eye that, that the guy feels like he's always looking at him. And it builds up. He gets angry, and in a fit of rage, he jumps on his servant. He suffocates him. He dismembers him, and he buries him under the floorboards, thinking, I've taken care of this problem, it's out of my hair, and I can rest easy. But all is not well. In fact, during the night, he senses that there may be some sort of screams or something going on. In fact, the next day, policemen show up on the door saying, we heard screams. And now, this man is getting worried. But he's still confident. I, I covered my tracks. I got rid of all the evidence. Come on in and sit down. And he gives them chairs and they're sitting right on the floorboards of the place where this murdered man sits. And as he speaks with them casually and easily, he begins to hear the heart beating. And he begins to sweat. He begins to get nervous. Surely the policeman can hear it as well. But they're simply... Moving on as if nothing happens. He's thinking that they know. They're just, they're just testing him. It becomes crazier and crazier as the heart beats louder and louder. And finally, in a fit of despair, he leaps out of his chair and he confesses and tells them to pull up the floorboards and there he is. See, he wanted to get rid of the murderer, but the murderer didn't want to get rid of him. And his conscience grew in his heart. See, the truth of the matter is that's so similar to the emotion of anger. We want to dumb down the law of God. Think about it. What do you do when you last got angry? 
Did you and I not seek to minimize it or blame it on my heredity? Oh, it's because I'm Irish, you know? Blame it on the situation. I was having a bad day. Blame it on others. He cut me off. He had it coming to him. Or we minimize it. You know, it's not that bad. I didn't kill anyone. Or did we? See, the truth of the matter is we did. We're guilty. We've sinned against man and against God. And so we must understand the definition of anger. We must not minimize it. We must not rationalize it. We must respond to it. God wants anger to bother us in the same way that it bothered Edgar Allan Poe. We owe a debt, and so we must pay it, or there will be consequences. This leads me to my second point, the duty of anger. If now we understand the definition of anger, we must understand our duty. For a serious penalty requires serious restitution. Look at what Jesus says here. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge, the judge to the guard, and you are put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Now think a little bit about what Jesus is saying. Say, look, if you are in a worship service and you remember that somebody has something against you, go. Seriously, Jesus? I mean, I'm in the middle of a worship service. Right in the middle. In fact, I'm worshiping you. How can you say to go? That doesn't make any sense. I mean, isn't worshiping God more important than worshiping man? Not worshiping man. But, but dealing with men, excuse me. But the point is, we're making an unnatural distinction between worshiping God and obeying God. For all of our life is meant to be worshipped. See, we have a hymnal that we read, and it's not that funny one with all the different ones in it. This is actually the hymnal that we use to worship God. Not just on Sunday, but every day of the week. And so all of our life is to, be, is to worship. And worship is obedience to God's law. Every single jot and tittle of it. Listen, in 1 Samuel 15, 22, where, the Lord, where Samuel says, uh, prophesying the Lord's word, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the voice of the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice. So that's what he's saying. He's saying, literally, if you have your tithe check in hand, put it down and go. The pastor's saying, put the tithe check down and go? No, I'm not. God is saying to do it. And God trumps me. You know, why is God so powerful on this issue of anger? It's because God's law is a reflection of the character and nature of God. God is a triune being, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You want to understand relationship, look at God. God in His very nature is relationship, in perfect harmony and love with one another. And so it makes perfect sense that His law 
would manifest this, and his desire for his creation would exhibit the same traits. And so anger is a rift in God's perfect design for humanity, and one that must be corrected. See, all of life with Christ coming to earth is a mission of reconciliation and restoration, not only with God, but with one another. And this sermon on the Mount that Jesus is preaching, kingdom life in a fallen world, is he's preaching to regenerated beings, saying you are no longer to live in the way of old, but now you are to live in the new way. But it's going to be hard because you're living this kingdom life in a fallen world and you are not completely regenerated yet. You're going to have to live by faith, not sight. And so how do we navigate our duty uh, uh, to God in this respect? Let's look at this breakdown. First step you have to do, remember. If you remember that somebody has something, uh, what does it say here exactly? Do, 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 do. Let me read it. Um, I'm losing my place here. Thank you. Okay. See, and you remember that your brother has something against you. Something has come to mind as you're sitting in the worship service and you realize they have something against you. Well, a lot of people have something against you. What does that mean? You know, it's interesting. There are over 24,000 manuscripts, ancient manuscripts of the Bible. And, as you, and some of the later manuscripts actually have a gloss or a little text put in there that says, because you have wronged him. Now that's not in the Bible because what they do is they look at all 24,000 of these texts and they say it's not in enough here. It's only in a couple here. And so it's not being put into the Bible. But the interpretation is correct as we look at it in its context. If you remember that somebody has something against you because you have wronged them, you have done something, you have said something, you have acted in such a way that it has manifested itself in creating wrong against your brother, against your neighbor. He's speaking not only of believers here, he's speaking of people. If you remember this, that you have done something wrong against them, they have experienced that, you must, number two, go. If you remember, go. You have a responsibility. This word go is in the imperative in the Greek. You, it means to go. You're active in going. You're searching in your going. You're intentional in your going. It's not a, hey, you know what, the next time I see that guy, I'm gonna, if I remember. No, it's not like that at all. We remember, we go, and we go quickly. That's number three, quickly. Look at verse 25. Come to terms quickly with your accuser, lest he hand you over to the judge, and the judge to the guard, and the guard to the prison. See, it's like there's a debt on your head. Anybody ever had an oppressive debt on your head? I have. Doesn't feel good. It's there all the time. It's weighing you down. And it's saying, get this debt off of your head. Because the person that has a debt against you is on their way to collect it. And it's an open and shut case. In fact, you must settle with this person before he gets to the judge. 
Because if he gets to the judge, you're going to be handed over and you're going to go into the debtor's prison. In fact, you won't get out until you've paid the last penny. In debtor's prison, you'd get thrown in debtor's prison until you could work off the debt. Well, guess what? You can't work off the debt. You're in debtor's prison. So unless other people would come to your aid, you were going to stay there indefinitely. In fact, they might sometimes torture you in debtor's prison to see if you had hidden sources of money anywhere. See, that's the point of Jesus saying, remember and go quickly. We want to minimize the things that we've done against other people. Maybe it'll go away. But you see, it won't go away because the Lord is the one who holds the note. It's not only an offense against man, it's also an offense against God. See, when we do something wrong in anger against other people, not only does it impair our relationship with them, it impairs our relationship with ourselves because we feel this debt and it impairs our relationship with God. Why do you think God says, hey, don't go offer your gift at the altar? Because God is saying, I'm not going to accept it. Go deal with that and then you can come back and I will take your gift. See, that's a powerful thought, isn't it? If we don't pay the debt that we owe, will God pay ours? The conclusion that we can draw to is that we have a duty to make things right. It's more important than our financial life, our church life, any life. Treat this like getting a bounty off of your head. It's going to affect you. We were in the parking lot, my wife and I, at Sam's Club, I think on Thursday. Was it Thursday, hon? It was something then. It was very windy. So it was a couple days ago, if you remember where it was really windy. So we park. Leon opens the door. The wind catches the door. Bam! Hits the, the neon green Ford Focus right next to us. And, you know, been there, done that. You know, we both look at each other. Oh, boy. So we walk around. There's a mark on the door. And you're always hoping, you know, it can be wiped off, right? And maybe it's just, you know, sometimes you just walk away, right? No. Okay, we walked over there. Sure, you know, Leo's doing her best to wipe it off. Pretty good in terms of wiping it off. But there is one place where it's quite clear that we have injured this car. What do you do? They don't know yet. They may never know, but it's quite clearly an offense. Now, all analogies aren't perfect. We weren't angry at the car or anything like that. But there's a lot of similarities here. We have to make a decision about what we want to do. We could minimize it. We could excuse it. Ah, it's just the wind. It happens all the time. It's been done to me. Or we can accept it. The fact that we owe a debt to these people that could end up being two to $400 for a paint job on this door. Our debt is in the hands of others. And so what did we do? We wrote a note, and we wrote it quickly, because as soon as you walk away from that car, it gets harder and harder. So we're shopping in Sam's, bring, there's a ring right there. Did you just leave a note on my car? Yeah, I, I did. She's like, well, I can't see anything anywhere. And I explained to her what happened, the wind, it's on the back left and right door, you know, we, it's not big, but we did it, we just felt like we needed to let you know. And she said, thank you so much for letting me know. No, but, you know, I don't see anything here. I think we're fine. 
said, thank you. Well, if you need to call us again, you, you have my number. And we went on our way. Okay, how much weight is lifted off of my shoulders? The debt has been paid. There is no tension between me. I don't have to go to bed at night with God knowing that there's an outstanding debt because we remember we went and we went quickly. And so what did we experience? Relief. How does this apply to you and I? How many times have we acted in anger? Maybe this week. And we want to take it back. But we can't. Or can we? See, if we obey God's law, if we remember and we go to be reconciled, when we act like God, when we're moving to reconciliation, it's being like God, for God is reconciling. Whatever that particular situation, a careless word to a family member spoken in anger, bitterness, whatever that interchange was, you hurt them. And you can try to rationalize it and minimize it, but it's sitting there like a big egg. And a rift has been created. Maybe it's something that happened a while ago. And time has passed. And things have cooled. And it's easy to say, well, what's done is done. Let bygones be bygones. But the Bible says to go. Go quickly. Confess your sin. But you say, I, I can't. I'm going to lose face if I have to acknowledge what I've done. The truth of the matter is that pride is the twin of anger. They're the same thing. I have to acknowledge that I am not God. So how do we find the strength to go? We must remember that Christ is in us. And before we ever go, Christ went. Christ came into the world to bring reconciliation. He lived a perfect life, and he was mistreated, and mocked, and insulted, and misrepresented. If there was anyone in the world who had the opportunity, reason to be angry, it was Jesus Christ, and for good reason. And yet when he hung on the cross, after having committed no crime, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. How was Jesus able to live that life well, we were not, because he was more interested in honoring God, his Father, than honoring himself. When we look to Christ, Christ gives us the power to stop having to be God. Petty little tyrants. He gives us someone so beautiful that we can take our eyes <laughs> off of ourselves because he is enough. And so we can move from honoring ourselves to honoring Him. Jesus gives us more than simply an example. He gives us a new life. He gives us the ability to stop our anger and to replace it with love. So go in the strength of Christ. But you may say, what if, what if He doesn't receive it? What if He doesn't listen to what my apology well, you may have to live with the pain of what you have done, but you don't have to live with regret. Because God says, after you've done that, come on back and come to the altar, and I will accept your gift, and we will be in harmony, and I am enough. Left to ourselves, we'll always spiral into anger. But Jesus gives us the power to replace anger with love, and gives us the courage to seek forgiveness when we fail. 
as usual, I've been blabbing on, but I really wanted to get to my final point. So if you're nice enough to let me do so, I will. The doubt of anger. There's still, Carlos, this is too simplistic. There's, there's got to be more to it than this. What do we have, what about when we have anger in our hearts, but we haven't said anything? We have this inner turmoil. We've hated people in our hearts. Do we have to go to them then? The answer is no. You may want to, if it's affected that relationship, but you haven't put a debt against them because they don't have anything against you. They don't know that they have to. But who you have offended is God. And so you need to go to God and confess that sin and be made right with Him. You may have to go to that person, but you don't have to. Does that make sense? How about this question? Well, there's lots of people angry with me. Is, is all anger bad? I've been angry before. Are you telling me that all anger is bad? I mean, every time a public figure opens their mouth, someone's angry with them. I mean, Tim Tebow says one thing, and you've got a thousand people that think he's the best thing in the world, and a thousand people that want to kill him. And does Tim Tebow have to go to those thousand people because they're angry with him? Look at Jesus, by the way. I mean, Jesus walks into the temple, he starts turning over tables. Jesus was the worst of name callers. You hypocrite, you blind guy, you brood of vipers speaking to the Pharisees. Is Jesus being a hypocrite? We have to understand this passage in the context of the Beatitudes. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. See, we're called to be peacemakers. The only way to make peace is to bring reconciliation between God and man. No one can have peace in their heart with other people or with God until that occurs. And so we're called to bring the gospel, not only with what we say, but with how we live. And to some people, that's going to be the greatest blessing in the world. And to some people, you are going to be the stench of hell for the way that you live. And so we may be persecuted for righteousness' sake, if indeed it is for that. We have a responsibility to walk into this thing with non-believers and believers. If we see a fellow brother wandering into sin, it is our responsibility to lovingly speak to them and challenge them and confront them. As Ephesians said, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one body. Be angry and do not sin. How can you do that? Be angry and do not sin. It's when our connecting and confronting with people is motivated by the glory of God and not the kingship of ourselves. See, that's when you know whether you're right or wrong in how you are engaging with people. How will you know this? Examining God's word and asking the counsel of others before you simply speak. Because we'll lie to ourselves. And as we do engage and respond with people, we must respond appropriately. Why was it that Jesus overturned the tables in the temple? Because they knew better. They knew better. We must respond in the proper context. 
But I guarantee you, sometimes people are not going to like it. But we cannot be deterred. We cannot fear repercussion. We have a responsibility to our neighbors and to speak truth in love. I had a situation, my wife and I, live in a community of friends. There was a couple who we'd been in a relationship with for a long time. And in that situation, uh, this friend had committed some sins that were pretty big and had a pretty big impact in terms of in the community and, you know, it was all in the past and things like that and we were still friends. But along came some things that this person was doing that were not in line with the gospel and how this person should be acting in light of what's happened before. But nobody wanted to touch this thing because it was messy and it was ugly and it was back then. But as my wife and I looked at the scriptures and we looked at this situation, we knew that we had to say something. And we also knew that it probably wasn't going to be accepted well and they were going to be angry with us. And they still are. Do we have a responsibility there to go back to them because they're angry with us? The answer is no. Now we may want to, to continue trying to live at peace, but there is no responsibility there for living righteously. The point I'm trying to make to you is we don't have to carry what we don't have to. We have enough trouble with the things we do do that we're responsible for. We honor the Lord, we speak truth, and that's going to create sparks. So my question for you is, what is the luggage that you are carrying around? Maybe anger that some people had against you, and for the life of you, you don't have a clue what it is. They just didn't like you. Maybe it was something, but as far as your conscience knows, you have not wronged these people. That is uh, not luggage that you have to carry around. You may want to, but you don't have to. But one of the points I want to make is, you know, you either on the other side can't be afraid. I'm afraid they're going to be angry at me. When you honor the Lord, when you put Him first, he gives you the courage and the strength to speak truth. And you can come to the altar and you can be at peace with the Lord. And you can put your head on the pillow at night and go to sleep. And you'll be okay. Left to ourselves, my friends, we will always spiral into anger. But Jesus Christ gives us the power to replace anger with love. And he gives us courage to seek forgiveness on you. By God's grace, let us do that. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for your correct interpretation of your law. For in it we see your beauty and the beauty of the world that you have called and are bringing into existence in the place and environment in which we will one live. And so, Lord, we live suspended between heaven and earth. And, Lord, surely we are guilty of anger. Lord, help us to not be little gods, but to put our confidence in you and you alone. Give us the courage when we have wronged others to go quickly and to settle that case, to humble ourselves and to be reconciled to our own. 
and give us the confidence to speak righteously and to stand our ground and to be at peace when those are angry at us because we have lived righteously before you. Lord, you're the only one who can give us peace. And in this world, you said we will have trouble, but take heart, you have overcome the world. And through you, we shall as well. All of this we pray in Christ's name. Amen.